Hey, everybody, this week's story is a story of love. It's love at first sight, and unfortunately, it's a story of loss. My friend Angelo Mirandino tells the tale of meeting his wife and their incredible romance. Also, unfortunately, it's a story of pain. Pain in the frame of a photograph. Now that's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Okay, welcome everybody to this episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lee Shannon. And if you're listening, you probably found us at recoverytalks.org. It is my distinct pleasure today to introduce my friend, my compadre, Mr. Angelo Marandino. Let me tell you briefly about Angelo. Uh, As you know, that we're in the midst of a multi-episode discussion about grief. And, uh, you know, sometimes the universe puts people in your path. And if you're if you're wise, what I've learned through the years is you pay attention to the people that come along in your path. And, you know, more than often, a few of them will resonate with you and you'll feel a true sense of brotherhood with, a sense of family with. And that's my relationship with, uh, with Angelo. A little bit of history is I've known Angelo's family ever since I was a kid, his older brother. You know, I got to be his roadie. I was like, I think the first band I was ever around, I was, I was roadie for your brother's band, man, Milestone. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember coming to your house and seeing your mom and dad and, you know, and, and coming down to that basement. It was the first world of music that I got to walk into. Like, man, these cats are playing band. I want to play band, you know, <laughs> and it was just so cool. You know, fast forward a bunch of years and we ran into each other when I came back from California. And I think I was still in the midst of my, my, my bad period. And, and uh, I saw you at a gig at a place in Canton and I'm like, that's Angelo, man. That's, 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 that's that cat, you know? And so right away, I knew that there was something going on there. But um, what we're here to talk about today, what our intention is with this discussion is to explore the topic of grief. And uh, as everyone knows, um, there's been a significant loss in my life over the past year. And the way I'm sort of sorting through it is to talk about it. And to bring in people that are close to me that the universe puts in my path, who I know have shared that journey. Uh, all of our journeys are always different, aren't they? And, but um, I don't know, Angelo, I think I asked you, man, to, to say, how would you describe yourself to our audience? But I pulled some stuff off your website, man, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that, man. I'm gonna, see, this is why you always have to keep your website up to date, man, because people like me are going to go there and they're going to, oh, this is what that was to say about it. You know, and this is what Angelo says on his website. He says, a great conversation requires two people talking and listening. And I think a great photograph requires the same. If you haven't figured it out by now, Angelo is a photographer extraordinaire, you know. And he went to school to study photography, but his life has been his best teacher. And he says, when making photographs, I try to capture moments that resonate with my heart. Usually, these moments are simple and right in front of me. And that captured me, man, because... Um, so much of our life is distracted by what was behind us and what we're thinking is going to happen. And we miss that now, you know, and you and I, I mean, a full disclosure here, uh, Angelo is doing some work. We're working together on some projects for uh, a recording thing I'm doing and his work is just extraordinary. And I, I just, I'm so touched by it. But um, my one thing that I would like to say about Angelo is that I, oftentimes go back to watching his TED talk. And if you haven't seen it, look it up at uh, TED, I think it's TED.USU and, or see it on his website, AngeloMarandino.com. And let's go there if we can. Okay. You open up with that TED talk, you know, you talk about your parents and you talk about, you know, love at first sight, man, you know? And, uh, that's that's the setup for your story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your ex-wife or your wife, Jen? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, uh, thanks for having me here, man. I appreciate it. Always enjoy um, 
spending time with you. I know, man. It's like family, isn't it? It's like yeah. seeing your cousin. Yo, how you doing? <laughs> you know, it is. Uh, yeah, it's easy, and that's a good thing. Mm. Um, my parents, to, to get back to what you were saying, my, my parents met in 1951, and uh, uh, both my sets of grandparents came over to America from Italy, and my parents were born here, and down in Akron, well, here in Akron, for those who don't know, there's a place called the Carvelets Club, which um, my mom's family came from a town called Caravelli, uh, which is southeast of Rome. And when they came over here to the States, they ended up here in Akron. And the Carvelets Club is people from Carvelli, Caravi, I'm sorry, Caravelli, mm-hmm. trying to pronounce it with the uh, proper Italian. Uh, You're doing better than I would, brother. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. But isn't it crazy, though, how those immigrant stories, like they came over and then they met here. You know, that's crazy. You know? Well, my, my grandparents, they, they knew each other there, actually, in Italy. And, and I have the trunk that uh, they brought all their belongings over, uh, which is pretty crazy to me. You know, I, but so my, my, my dad played the accordion, and uh, he was performing at the Carvelets Club. And my mom was there helping out with uh, the, the food preparation. Her, her mother was there. And so my mom was, was there, and, and she was out on the floor dancing while my dad and his band was playing. And... I laugh about this because it was it was uh, drums, accordion, and saxophone. <laughs> but here's the kicker: um, yeah. my dad puts down his accordion and goes out and asks my mom to dance. And I just can't help but to think of a lot of things. One of those being, what were the people thinking when all of a sudden it was just drums and saxophone? You know. Right. But my dad was like, you know, I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm he, doing it. And so he yeah. asked my mom to dance and. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what he he set the accordion down and said to the saxophone player, "said take it." <laughs> so, but then two weeks later, he asked her to marry her or marry him, and and uh, you know before they both passed in um, 2014, you know they had what's that uh, fifty something, how many sixty so however many years sixty three years sixty three years of marriage yeah man that's crazy eleven kids you know wow and not that they didn't have their ups and downs but you know they sure. they they were um you know they were a left and right hand you know and um so then for me I uh I, I met my first wife Jennifer in uh, in Cleveland and uh, I was applying for a job at a bar called the Fulton Bar and Grill and I saw Jen and I just had that feeling. Which I'd never had before, you know, it was different. And, uh, you know, I, I felt that way. She didn't, you know. <laughs> and so, um, so I applied for the job and I came back for an interview and um, fumbled through the interview yeah. with her and the, and the owner and they hired me, which was cool. And then uh, Jen and I just we hit it off and we were, uh, became close friends, but I was afraid to say, hey, I, you know, I have deeper feelings for you because I, I just didn't think she'd be interested in me. Jen seemed to have things together and I was this struggling musician who, you know, was definitely living day to day. And uh, so then Jen got a job in New York working with L'Oreal and uh, we kept in touch, talked often and it was just easy. And then I'd go to New York to play shows and I'd always make time to see Jen. Mm. And uh, I just couldn't get the courage together to say, hey, you know, I'm crazy about you. And it was that, you know, movie thing of I'd watch her walk down the subway steps and I'd just be holding back, wanting to yell, like, wait, you know, and finally did that. I, you know, I, I said, you know, I told her I had a crush on her, which all cool points went out the door. I was like a <laughs> fifth grader, you know. <laughs> but it turns out she felt the same way and um, yeah. it was just easy, you know. Yeah. And so uh, we dated long distance for a little while and uh, really learned to communicate. This was 2005 and six around that time. Texting mm. was just coming mm. in. Right. So right. it was more of a phone conversation where you just, you listen to each other and you... Mm. So then... Um, the band I was in, we, I split the band or left the band and, um, there was no point in staying in Cleveland when Jen was in New York and flew out there with an engagement ring in my pocket and, uh, proposed the night I got to New York, which was a great way to start my, uh, my time there. 
Tell me a little bit about that moment. You know what I mean? Tell me about that. Because that's, yeah, man. I mean, that's yeah. that's a big deal. I mean, okay, excuse me, I'm flying out. I don't know how it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, you know, I want to hear a little more of that and go, well, go a little deeper there. Well, I, I can be on the shy side when it comes yeah. down to it, you know. Yeah. Um, so I was a little nervous. We, we went to this restaurant called Frank. It's on the Lower East Side. I'm guessing it's still there. Great place, cash only, just really really great place, great vibe. The food was always amazing. And so Jen wanted to go to some other restaurant actually. And I was like, no, 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 we got to go to Frank. You know, she's like, what's wrong with you, man? Calm down. And so I had it in my mind. I was going to, you know, get down on one knee after, after we ate and propose. And I kept thinking, well, we'll back up a little bit on the plane. I, I had bought Jen this engagement ring that wasn't your traditional engagement ring. It was a friend of ours works at a place out in Chagrin Falls. Her name's Beth, and the place is called Ling Jewelry. And they have just all kinds of cool, interesting stuff. And so Beth and Jen were best friends. And I said, Beth, I'm going to propose to Jen. Help me find a, a ring that she'd love that's not traditional. I just didn't want didn't to do that. And uh, so I had this big, chunky ring in my pocket and my little skinny jeans that you could have held me upside down by my feet and it wouldn't have fallen out. But the whole plane ride, I just kept tapping my sure legs there. Sure sure was, there yeah, right? you know yeah. so um so we get there and we we go down to this restaurant we're eating our meal and uh i had, i had known that i wanted to propose to jen and so the months leading up to that i was just kind of teasing her about you know this one moment i was looking at her and she she looked at me and said what are you looking at and i it was that moment where i knew i was like I, i'm gonna marry her and so over the, the following weeks, I'd say, hey, you know, remember that time I was looking at you all and you, you know, all goofy eyed and you were like, what are you thinking about? And I told you, I'd, don't worry about it. So, well, you want to know? She'd say yes. And I'd say, ah, never mind. I'll tell you later. And so, of course, I wore the joke out, you know. But we had dinner and I'm thinking, okay, it's this packed restaurant in New York. I don't, I don't want to draw attention, but, you know, here we go. So I asked her, you know, I did. Remember a couple months ago, we were sitting here and you asked me what I was thinking, and she just shook her head. She was like, come on, man, you've told me that joke 20 times. So then I got down on my knee and asked her to marry me, and uh, she, she yelled, shut up. <laughs> so I was kind of like, oh, shit, you know, oh, pardon my language. Yeah. I, I was kind of like, it's okay. Yeah. I was like, yeah. um, just sold everything I own except for my cats and a couple of cameras, <laughs> and I got a ring. I'm on my knee on the floor. But like, that what? can mean a lot of different things. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, oh, crap can be... That's great. Or like, oh. Yeah. Well, so she grabbed the ring then. And I was like, thank you. You know? But the cool thing about it, well, a lot of cool things, but one was that no one said a word. It was this great, welcome to New York. If you're not hurting anybody, cool, do your thing. We don't yeah. care. You know? Yeah. So then I remember, you know, jumped in the back of a cab and rode home. And it was just like, all right. Here we know, go. The world's our oyster, you know? Yeah. And then um, it really was a, it was a very magical time. You know, I, I, I think about, this was, I think, 2007. And I, I think about how different my life is now mm -hmm. in the sense of like, you know, I have some savings, got some retirement, blah, blah, blah. At that time, I had no, no money, no nothing, no career, no nothing. But I, I right. felt like, cool. You know, I just remember how, how free life felt at that time. And that's, I don't think that, that's an uncommon thing for anyone to feel. Right. But at that time, it was just kind of like, all right, you know, we're in the most expensive city in the world. Um, I don't have a job or any money, but we're going to figure this out. And it, there was never, a, not that I wasn't nervous at times, but there was never any fear that we weren't going to be okay. So fast forward for me a little bit, um, and let's get to the part where we talk about um, the change. Yeah. And things start happening. Yeah. And you fart, you start with the discovery of, wait a minute, we just found something out. How did that come about? So Jen and I got married in September 2007. Um, married in Central Park. You know, it was amazing. We had our family around us. And that night we had a reception at this Italian restaurant. And my dad played his accordion. We had our you know first dance together. Um, and he played I'm in the Mood for Love. And... 
again, it was that feeling of the world's our oyster, you know? Yeah. yeah. So we go on our honeymoon, we come back, we're settling into life and figuring things out. And Jen, over the years, had had some, uh, some medical scares where she had cysts and, um, you know, they were never turned out to be cancerous. At least that's what they thought. And um, so I, I, I came back to visit my parents, flew back real quick for a couple of days and, and Jen had gone in to see her general practitioner and the, the general practitioner felt something and said, hey, Jen, I, I think you should get a mammogram like now. So I remember I'm, I'm in uh, my parents' house with uh, my mom, my dad, my sister, Marianne, and we're hanging out talking and, you know, I'm talking to Jen and she's kind of freaked out and, and you know, especially at that time, I didn't know, I had no idea what was coming. And I remember trying to just, okay, you know, this is my wife. Like I got to be encouraging. And, and I was trying to, to just listen and, and uh, give her any kind of support I could saying, okay, like, Hey, we don't, we don't know, you know, let's wait until we get the results. Let's not worry until we mm. uh, have a reason to. And, and I remember Jen was saying like, something's different. She just knew something. And um, so then she gets the mammogram. I flew back home and uh, to New York and uh, I'm working one day and, and Jen calls and, and you know, I, I remember this phone call. I uh, seems like it was just yesterday, you know, and she called and said, uh, I have breast cancer. And like that, that switch was flipped. And I mean, it's uh, an understatement to say life has not slowed down since then. You know, all mm -hmm. of a sudden, everything I, I thought I knew uh, was turned upside down and challenged. And we went from, you know, being newlyweds and trying to figure out, okay, what's our future to thinking about what kind of chemotherapy should she get? And should she have a double mastectomy? And which hospital and 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 life was like uh, what to do what do we do next yeah right? where do we go at what point did you decide that you know being an artist and being from what I can sense a very private person at what point did you decide that, look, I'm going to document this. I mean, that's what is so stunning and amazing to me is that you took this very private, very personal thing that was happening between these two people that loved each other so extraordinarily. And you said, okay, this is what I do. This is who I am. It's how I see the world. I'm going to do this. That's fascinating to me. Really, that was necessity. Um, we went through the first round of treatment and that was the you know we finished right before our one year anniversary right. and in our first year Jen had double mastectomy um, chemotherapy radiation reconstructive surgery mm -hmm. you know yeah intense and we had an amazing support group thankfully you know our family and our friends were, were really wonderful and um, and I don't know how we would have survived that first year without that help um, and there were a few times during that year where I think it was difficult because I think people meant well, but they didn't understand that our life was nuts. Mm. And sometimes people maybe pushed a little too hard and, and we were like, look, this was our day to day. And y'all need to just give us a, a, a breath, you know, and right. our, uh, well, Jen's general practitioner had given us some great advice. She said, look, your guys' life is really simple now. It's about Jen and taking care of Jen. And there's a good chance that there are going to be people who might mean well, but they're going to overstep. And y'all are probably going to have to make some hard choices. And if things aren't contributing to bettering Jen's situation, then things need to be cut off. She's right. like, take this for what it is. But I'm just saying, right. you know, and it was true. There were some decisions we had to make with family members of saying like, hey, just can't deal with this right now. Right. Right. Because our life was insane, man. Like, if, you're, if you're not bringing the right energy, man, if yeah. you're not supporting, 
Yeah. If you don't enrich, you yeah. cannot have it around. And I think sometimes people meant well, but what was tough is I think sometimes people, it was almost like it was about them and their actions and not about Jen. And I, I appreciate that people meant well, but it was also like, again, our life is nuts right now. Right. There's no guarantee right. that, that this is going to go away. And so after that year, we started putting our life back together and it was tough. Mm-hmm. Because it had been a year of nonstop stress, right. worrying, fear, and that takes a lot of, out of somebody. And, and you guys are still newly married, yeah, right? Yeah, right? yeah, so right, <laughs> right. It hasn't been like you got, you'd had 10 years to, to form that routine yeah. and go through all those practices and be a well-rehearsed band. Yeah, right? totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. And I think because Jen and I dated long distance, that was good for us because we really learned how to communicate. Right. We were able to read each other really right. well right. and listen. And um. And it was also like, you know, anytime Jen felt something in her body, it was like, is this cancer? And so a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, what are you worried about? Like, the doctor said you're free of cancer. Like, just live life. And, and it was, again, people meant well, but it's like, this isn't a switch that you turn on and off. Mm. And I think that's something that, that I, I didn't know this, but it's like, you know, there's a lot that goes on with cancer day to day that people don't realize. And... So that was always in our head. And Jen had started a, um, she started a blog. This was 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it's amazing how much less was on the internet. You know, um, so much of what was out there was very clinical. And so we, you know, we're putting our life back together, getting back into things. And um, uh, 2010 is when Jen's cancer metastasized, which was our biggest fear. Right. It had spread to her liver and her bone. But you had been told that she was cancer-free, right? And yeah. Then, and then this came back again. So it was double trauma. Yeah. And, and when you're dealing with trauma, I mean, just the disruption of trauma in your life. Oh, yeah. People don't understand the long-term effects of what that does. Yeah. And we're going to get to that in a bit. I want to yeah. talk to you about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So we're back in that boat of chemotherapy or um, this treatment or that treatment, but also knowing like, okay, the cancer's back and it's spreading. And- what we found at that point is that a lot of people really just, I, I've had a lot of time to think about this, but I think some people just couldn't deal with our reality. Mm. And I get it, but I also don't get it, you know? And so a lot of people just fell off the earth. We didn't hear back from people. Um, people gave us the standard, oh, you just got to pray and be positive. And it's like, yeah, true, but there's more to it than that. And, um, and physically, our life was getting more difficult. As the cancer progressed, you know, Jen was, at a certain point, she had to start using a cane and a, a walker. And she's not even 40 years old at that point, right. you know? Right. And so, uh, to, to get to the, the answer to your question of why and when I started documenting this, we were in the hospital. It was a 15-day hospital stay. And, uh, you know, I have a big family. We have a lot of friends. But... It was 15 days and Jen's parents came to town to help us. Her sister came in uh, for a little bit. My parents sent a card, but that was it. And I just remember thinking like, man, we're going through hell and not even a card. Like y'all don't realize this isn't about, again, just positive thoughts. Like this is legitimate, scary, like, we have some of the, we were at uh, Sloan Kettering, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, which is one of the top cancer centers in the world. And those doctors didn't know what was going on. Yeah. And so we had tried to tell people we had, you know, Jen had her blog going on and she was, she was like, Hey, here's the honest, like this sucks. This is this, this is good. This is bad. This is what it's like. So that's when I said, Hey, can I just start making some photographs of what we're going through to show our family? Like, this is what this is. and. So originally, this wasn't something that, that we were going to make public. It was just to say, hey, family, we need y'all. And so it was really born out of necessity. And I, I wasn't thinking like, I wasn't thinking like a photographer in the sense of, oh, I need this shot and that shot, or I'm going to publish this or do that. It was, it was a, a desperate sense of communication. And, um, and so, you know, I, I always carry a camera, but it was like, my life was making sure Jen was okay. And then when she was all right, if something hit me in the gut, I made a photograph and that was it. And it's interesting. You and I have talked about this often. 
Now I think a lot when I'm working. And to some degree, you kind of have to because you, you might have a specific need of a client or whatever. But I was just going from my gut at that point. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about technique or rules. And, um, and I think that's why some people resonated with those photographs because it was just, again, they were gut feelings, you know. Um, and it was really about needing people to understand this is where we are. Um, Y'all need to step it up and be here for us, you know? If you're not familiar with Angelo's work, you can certainly find it at angelomarandino.com. That's angelomarandino.com. And you're listening at this point to Recovery Talks, the podcast. So... Let's continue. We know where we're going here and we know what happens. Mm -hmm. So for our listeners, where I'd like to pick it up is one of the moments in your TED Talk that really struck me as just, I mean, I, I just resonated with it. It was when you, when she finally passed and you were able to go and look at the skyline and you had that moment of realizing this is over. It's done, you know? Yeah. And I'm finally, whatever chapter that was in my life, whatever dividing marker, whatever wall that was, that's now behind me. And I have to find a way forward. And I think one of the things that we've talked a lot in this series about grief is that moment where you have this trauma, where you deal with it. And I think all of us, when we go through trauma, when we go through grief, at that moment that it's happening, there's a natural strength in people like us, especially in the arts where we say, okay. And we take that sturdying breath. And then we look forward and we don't know what we're going to do next. And I often talk about what's next. What's next for you? In that moment for you, where you're talking about that moment, I was just struck by the photograph you put up at that moment of the skyline. And I, I was there with you in that moment, just seeing that image. I could see what you saw, which is, holy shit, here I am. Yeah. Now what? Now what? Yeah. So tell me, now that we've, we've gone through, you know, what happened, right? So how do, how do you move forward? What do you do? I mean, what was, what was it for you in that moment? And, you know, what, what did you do? That's really what I think this whole series is about is how do we move forward? How do we do this? Yeah, you know, I, I remember crossing the George Washington Bridge and looking and thinking, you know, when I moved to New York, big thing for me was that Jen was there and I was like, okay, like, I'm not doing this alone. And I had that moment of I've never been in this city, living in this city <laughs> on my own. And there was a moment of like, uh-oh, you know? Yeah. I think you take assessment at that moment of just, and it's a, it's a moment, but it's a continuum of the, the extent of the loss. It's just never apparent yeah. at the moment the loss happens. It yeah. happens slowly, gradually, prick by prick. It, well, it's every moment where you go, oh, now that's going to be different. And, and so will that. Yeah. You know? Well, it's 10 years since Jen passed this December and I still have those moments. So, yeah. it, you know, it's not something that I think even stops. But I remember um, I was fortunate we had saved a little money so I, I didn't have to go straight back to work. Mm. It's very fortunate in that sense. And I think some of this was, was um, because of the relationship that Jen and I had. Um, Jen, her her first husband also passed, you know, and so... It was really, I don't want to say the word interesting, but like the fact that she had been widowed. As Jen's cancer progressed, I feel like she was kind of preparing me a little bit. And that was the kind of person Jen was. Even in her, you know, with what she was going through, she was looking out for me. And I, I, I do feel like in some sense, you know, these photographs, I, I think Jen and I made them together. It wasn't just mm -hmm. me making the photographs. And I think in some ways, I think she knew, I think she gave me these as a way to cope. Mm. And so for me, I, I can't say that 
at that moment, I had this clear thought, okay, this is what I'm going to do, A, B, C, D. But in hindsight, I think that I knew that I had to go head first into mm. this. I mm. didn't want to bury it. I knew that I could easily end up um, using substances. Right. I knew that that was a path I could go. Mm. Um, and I decided not to. I just remember thinking like, I don't want to run from this because I, Jen didn't run from cancer, you know? And so I feel like she did a lot, whether she meant to or not, to kind of put me in the right direction. And I just remember thinking like, okay, man, here you are. Um, you got to put one foot in front of the other. And some days that was easier than others. I remember one time I was on the subway platform and I lived about, it was about a 10 minute walk from the subway. And all of a sudden I was like, go. And I just ran home. I'm not, I mean, not like I was in the best shape, but I knew the minute I stopped running was when I was going to lose it. And I got into my apartment, I laid on the ground and just cried. So there were those days and there were other days where I would just get out and wander. And so I feel like I just, I wanted to feel that pain. Not that I, not that I enjoyed it, but I just felt like I need to deal with this. I need to think about this. And it has been a 10-year thing. You know, I, I really dove into these photographs. I, I started editing the photos and I... Um, yeah, that's one of the questions I had is how long did it take you to be able to really go, I got to look at that now? I mean, was it right away? Did you know you were going to get to that? Yeah. I mean, we, we're working on a project that is also dealing with something that's going on um, in, in my sphere of the world. And, and I know that, that it, right away, I just kind of had to just um, get away from the noise mm-hmm. and get into the work. Yeah. How long did it take you to get to that point? Well, about a month after Jen passed. About a month. Um, mm. yeah, well, CNN, their website, they had, they had a photo uh, blog at the time and, and they shared the photos. And um, we had shared them before that on Facebook and people had connected with them. And I sort of knew like, this is something that, yeah. that may affect people. But when they were shared on CNN and, and the response I saw was like, man, there's people all over the world who have breast cancer. There are people all over the world who have lost a spouse. And I wasn't, again, I wasn't thinking like, like a business sense. I wasn't thinking about this in that, like, like a photo editor or any of that. It was just going through those photos and thinking, oh man, like this was, this happened. Like, oh yeah, that's right. This happened two years ago. And at the moment it was a photograph I made because I felt something, but now I'm looking at it and it's like, oh yeah, we did that. Or, that happened. So for me, editing these photos was this way to go head on with what it was that had kind of turned my life upside down. And what I was realizing was that, and I think I, I knew this while it was happening, but you know, the, these photos weren't just about breast cancer. These photos were about love. They were about life. They were about what's important in life and, and facing challenges. You know, if you would told me before I met Jen that this was going to happen and I was going to be there for her and that I wasn't going to let her down, I would have bet against myself. Man, I just got to tell you, when I look at those, I, the empath in me, I just, I, I have a tough time lingering and because they just speak to me so much. There's Thank just you. so much there. And, and looking through the lens at that, you know, I, I just don't know how I can put myself in your place to say that I, I could do that. What I do is, is really abstract. It's not so concrete. I create music. You know what I mean? It's away from the fact. And it's usually in my comfortable little home. But when you're, as a photographer, in that moment, taking a picture of someone you love deeply and you can see that pain that's going on with them. How do you capture that? How do you, I mean, do you disassociate? Or what do you, what was going through your head when you were creating that work? Well, with those photos, um, I, I was making some photos at first and I sent them to um, this uh, photographer. Her name is Gary Walter. Gary was some kind of a mentor and friend for me over the years. He's a very special person. Um, 
And I, I sent her a few of the photos and, and I'll, I'll never forget this. And I'll always love Gary even more for her love and honesty for me. But she said, look, man, like, I know you want these, these photographs to affect people and, and it's important that they do, but you're not making really good photographs. I, I would like, I would make a photograph of the chemotherapy drip and expect people to understand what we were going through. And so mm. Gary said, hey, you know, if, if, if you're going to do this, you got to tell that story. And so, as I'd mentioned earlier, earlier yeah. I wasn't thinking about this. Don't dance. Get right to it. Yeah. Right? And right. really get the subject in frame and that pain in frame. Well, I just remember at that moment thinking, all right, man, you know, have your camera ready. And so, I, if, if Jen and I would go outside, I'd make sure she was taken care of. And then I'd set my camera and it was ready. When we got in the cab, Jen was all right. Adjust my camera. When we got it to the hospital, Jen was taken care of. Adjust my camera. So, so I was always ready. And I just, when I felt something, I made a photo. I, I wasn't thinking. So, mm. where, where was Jen in this? I mean, obviously, she's going through it. Mm-hmm. But she's seen you yeah. capture it. I mean, she's, she's a player in the band at this point. Yeah. She's a player. She made the photographs as much as I did. I see that, man. You know, she, I see that. She trusted me, you know. Mm-hmm. At the was end she of- able to look at them when you were doing it? Yeah. Did she want to see them? Sometimes, right. you know, and she was just honest. You know, there was one moment, this was so like her, man. Um, we, when the cancer metastasized, they, they, they were having a hard time getting a grip on it. And Jen was generally, I mean, she was strong, man. She never said, oh, poor me. I mean, that doesn't mean that she wasn't sad and depressed and that she wasn't freaked out by this, but she just, man, she was tough and she, she, she didn't take it out on other people, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, but uh, we were waiting to see a radiologist. And at this point, I kind of noticed, it was, it was the first time that I was like, man, she's starting to come unraveled a little bit. Mm. And just that gut thing, we were sitting there waiting. There was nothing I could do. We, we were both just kind of silent. We, we were at, sometimes at our appointments, it was like, okay, it's time to just exist, you know? So I made a few photographs and she looked at me and she said, just a couple more and then that's it. And that was the only time. And it was like, you know, she, she had every right to right then say, stop. You know She's what telling, I mean? Okay. We're, we've reached the curb here. But, but even then yeah. she was like, like, get what you need, man. Right, so, but, so yeah, but I feel like she, yeah, that's awesome. this was something that she knew was important. Yeah. And, I, and I think that she, um, she trusted me. She knew that I was taking care of her and that, it wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, oh, I forgot to give Jen her meds because I'm over her editing, photogra- editing photographs, you know. So it was a very two-way street for that, you know. And, uh, you know, that wasn't something that I took lightly. That was something that, that meant the world to me, you know, that she, that she trusted me. You know, not that my parents didn't believe in me, they did. But no one in my life believed in me like Jen did. And at that point, she was the first person who was like, I love you, man. Like, I believe in you. You know, where I'm over there saying like, I'm beating myself up and taking the wind out of my sail. She's like, no, man, I believe in you. You know what I mean? Typical youngest. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's the youngest in the family, right? Yeah. So moving forward, um, the TED Talk happens. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, things change for you. The work is received very positively and even you begin to see that other people are are helped yeah are, are aided by what you went through um just to to, to start moving towards where you are today right yeah. um did you feel after the ted talk came out that there was a sense of 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 purposefulness of sharing that message i mean did that what was it that started erasing some of the pain at some point? Was it that when you start seeing it? Because in the recovery community, one of the things you can absolutely do when you feel like crap, you can always call somebody up and absorb their burden. You yeah. can always do that. And, you know, it's been a lifesaver, a game changer for me to realize in my own specific journey with substance abuse disorder, to be able to just help somebody else gets my head out of my head. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So for you, was there a, was there a place for doing this work, finishing this work? Did it, did it, did it help 
at all. And what happened after that? And, and eventually where I'm going is, so 10 years have gone by. Yeah. Where are you now? Well, that first TED talk I did, it was interesting because I, I got this email from Utah State University. And at first I thought, man, this is spam. You right. know, who's reaching out to me from Utah State University to do a right. TED talk? I was, um, but then, it, but it wasn't obviously. And so I said, yeah, I'll do that. And um, it was interesting because after I committed to it, then I started putting pen to paper and I was like, oh, why did I do this? Right. You know? Did they help you put that together, by the way? Or are you on your own for your presentation? That, well, I mean, they, they, they were great. They, they sent like some different guidelines or some thoughts or some inspiration and things mm -hmm. like that. But it was really, I, I just sat down with the pen and paper. Because yeah, it's really well done the way you integrate photographs and Thank what you. you're saying. Yeah. And, and I couldn't remember all that dialogue. Hopefully you had some sort of cues or something. No, man. You did it off your head? I did. All extemporaneously, well, huh? So, man. So, I mean, I was talking about my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like it was. You knew what you were going to do. Yeah. But you never out, you know, cheat sheets or nothing, no. man? Man. Okay. I, you know what? I, it was so important to me. I, I worked at it like a job, man. Yes, you know, of like, course. It's a gig. I, I, yeah. you, so, so I, you know, when I was out, I was out walking around somewhere and I'd have a thought. I'd, I'd turn on my re uh, recorder on the phone and I'd just talk. Mm -hmm. And then I'd get home and I'd transcribe it. And, and so I, I, I got to that point where all of a sudden I was like, oh, here's, here's the first chapter. Here's the next thing. And so it just starts to be like building blocks. Mm. And what was really happening for me is that as I was thinking these things through, I was, it was a continuation of, of what I initially thought about facing this head first is that I was, I was accept, I was coming to some acceptance by looking at these photos and thinking about what we went through and preparing this TED talk. So preparing that TED talk for me was, was going into the, into the fire, you yeah. know, yeah. and Face it was emotional and it was painful. We and talked it, about you this, know? facing it. Yeah. Really going and facing the, 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 the pain, facing yeah. the, the, the trauma, facing it, looking at it, seeing for what it is and moving forward with it. So, so, so it happens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you're done with it. You get back on a plane. You know what I mean? What's the feeling when you're done with all that stuff? You know, do you feel a sense of relief that you were able to do this? Because I watched you during that whole thing and I could see just how close you were to your emotions. Yeah. This was going on. I mean, you were right there, brother. Well. When it ended, I, I walked off the stage and the stage and walked out back and for the first time in a while, I just kind of cried, you know, called my uh, parents, told them that it went well. And then it was just like, man, it's like, okay, like I got to keep going. Mm. I got to keep feeling, I got to keep doing things. And it was, I had received some emails at that point of people saying, hey, I have cancer and I saw this and, and I'm not going to give up on my treatment. Mm. Um, or a lot of people, it was, it was really crazy, man. People were like, my dad died when I was seven and it wasn't even cancer related, but I watched that Ted talk and all of a sudden I feel a different sense of peace. And so I started thinking like, it was crazy because I thought about all the people who, for me, it was really music uh, heavy, but I thought about the musicians who affected me, the musicians mm -hmm. who made me think. And all of a sudden I'm getting emails from people who are saying something that you created from your life experience is affecting me. And that was heavy. And then the, the kicker was that this, um, an email from this one woman who said that uh, she was going to have an abortion. She was, she went, I guess she had uh, two appointments. The second, the first one was to make sure she really wanted to do it. And the second one was to do it. And she saw the photographs between those appointments. And it was like, I can't. So she had a baby because of what, you know, and yeah. that's some heavy stuff, man. For yeah. someone who struggled, has struggled his whole life to feel a sense of uh, belief in myself. I was like, oh man, like, you know, so, so I, I got a lot of emails like that. And it, it just got me thinking about the importance of sharing our yeah. stories because there are people all over the world who are going to affect us. And, and I, that is what helped me some days it was like, man, I don't even want to get up today. Yeah. Yeah. But it, then I was like, man, you know, this woman had her baby because of Jen and me. And yeah. I, It's always to me, one of the best surprises of working in art is that, you know, when we create, we have an intention, right? 
But oftentimes we're so deep in our own stuff, in our own head, like, oh, was that guitar part great? Or, yeah. you know, was that photo just right? And, and we just think about it like, I don't know if I got it. I don't know if I got it. And then it gets out there. Mm-hmm. And then in a very concrete way, it, it affects people. And then they return that to us. And I'm always surprised by that. Yeah. Like, what? What? Yeah. That song, what? And for me, I'm thinking about the session or the thing or, you know, yeah. I didn't really sing that right. Or I wish I could, you know, I don't like that shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, or whatever, man. But when it really goes out and it reaches someone's soul, that's a very concrete yeah. result. It's not abstract anymore. Yeah. Which is what we tend to create with that kind of, I'm kind of doing this. And those photos, if you haven't seen them, and again, I'm going to remind our audience where they can find them. It's at angelomerindino.com. So where are you today? Well. Where are we today? It's still a step-by-step process, you know. Years back, somebody said to me, hey, man, time's a great healer. And I remember thinking, you're out of your mind. Yeah, yeah. But I think what he meant is that, or at least, I don't know what he meant, but for me, what that's become to mean is that 10 years later, it isn't the gut punch it was constantly then. There are still those moments where I stop and I think, oh man, like I can't believe that happened. But today it's, you know, I think of Jen all the time. She is a part of everything I do. I feel like my life, uh, she has been the biggest influence uh, in my life. And um, I I want to tell people that that when they say to me, you know, this will pass, you'll get to this way. And I want to say thank you for your intention. Yeah. But bottom line is, this is my book. Yeah. Right? I have to live with this book. It's always going to be a chapter in my life. Well, you know, I, I, I don't want to not feel yeah. that. You know, like that was the defining, a defining part of my life. And and I, again, 10 la- years later, I think it, some people might say, oh, 10 years, man, you should feel fine. But it's like, you know, mm. It's a huge part of life. Like that, that affected, we could talk for hours, man, but that, that affected everything, man. That was like. From that moment is different. Yeah. The yeah. whole road. And life all of a sudden is different. And even to this day, there are things that I thought eight years ago, and it doesn't mean they were wrong, but now I think about them and I'm like, eh, I don't know, man. It's this constant mm. evolving thing. And the more I think about it, the more I, the more it, it, it gets deeper. And so for me, it's been about, facing it head on. And that means sometimes just being in pain and some days better than others. But, you know, there, there are the times like the anniversaries of things that, that are still kind of tough. But yeah. at the end of the day, man, it, I wake up in the morning and I'm thankful, thankful to be alive, thankful to be yeah. here, thankful for that time in my life. And so I think, I don't know, everyone's got their own thing. But for me, sharing that experience is what helps. Talking about it and finding other people who can relate to it, other people who can say, oh yeah, I've been there. There's something about that. And if I hadn't shared that experience, I wouldn't have met a lot of people. I wouldn't have had a lot of experiences that came from me saying, hey, this, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve, but like, hey, this is, this is honestly what happened to me. And so, so I'm doing okay. You know, Mm. I have my ups and downs. It's like I said, not something I ever want to not feel. I think if I don't feel it, then that's a problem, you know? I think the best the best thing I can I can say is is that is that that constant practice of trying to be in the moment that mindfulness uh-huh. of being in this moment you know um, the last question I want to ask you as we go out today and I want to thank you for being a part thank of you, this podcast man is that um, you know if you were to give someone some suggestions on how to approach someone they care for deeply who's just gone through a, an event a trauma that is going to cause a great deal of grief. You can obviously see the loss of a loved one, maybe a, a just, you know, a, an event that was really off the hook in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, from your perspective of what you went through, how do people share comfort, you know, acknowledge? What's, what's the, the way, if there is a way, that someone who deeply cares about you when you're going through that, how do you acknowledge that? Be there. Yeah. You know, I mean, you don't have to have answers. Just don't fall off the face of the earth. Send a text message. I love you. I'm thinking about you. Send a card. Go see somebody. You know, somebody um, said something to me once that was the best. I, I can't, I probably can't sum it up any better than this, man. He was um, one of Jen's second cousins, a little older, very, um, very intelligent. He, um, the guy was just a, 
very special person. He was traveling from Akron to Vermont for work, coming through Penn Station. He was taking the train and he called me and I saw the call coming through and I was just at a point where I was like, I just can't talk. This was less than a year after Jen passed. I was like, I can't talk to somebody. So he leaves a voicemail and he says, hey man, I'm coming through New York. I'd love to see you. He said, I understand if you want to be alone. And he said, but if you want someone to sit and stare at a wall with you, I will sit and stare at a wall with you. And I called him right back. I was like, hey man, yeah. yeah. And it was just, there was no pressure for me to entertain him. Yeah. And we sat there and had this great night. So I, I guess just, just be there for people, yeah. man. You don't have to have the answers. And, and at the same time, be flexible, man. I, there were times where I was like, um, I had a good friend, her name was Kendra. She was a yoga instructor and she would say, hey man, whenever you want to go practice yoga together, we'll go. And so there were times where like, I was outside the building and I would send Kendra a text and say, can't do it. Yeah. And I'd run home, man. Cause yeah. I just, I, 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 I felt like when I walked in that building, everyone was going to say, oh, there's the guy whose wife died. And Kendra was always like, it's cool, man, when you're ready. And yeah. so she never was like, oh, you keep bailing out, man. Like, right. forget you. Yeah. She gave me so much grace, man. And then finally we did yoga together and it was like, you know, so just, just be there, man. And understand people went through something that, like, I wouldn't wish that on anybody, yeah. man. You know? In, in the recovery community, I've heard the phrase before, it's called holding space. And mm -hmm. holding space is a concept where um, you go and sit with somebody mm -hmm. and you really sit with them and you avoid though, which is a personal pet peeve of mine, the yeah, buts when, mm -hmm. you know, we see yeah. somebody's in a tough time, you go, yeah, this is tough for you, but it's going to get better. And yeah. things are going to, you know, I don't want to hear any damn yeah, buts. <laughs> I just want you to sit with me yeah. and just maybe go get a taco. Yeah. You know? Well, let me be and, angry right now or yeah, let me be or sad. Let me, let me just, me, you know, yeah. just don't have to explain everything to me. Yeah. You don't have to talk to me back. You just got to sit with me. Sit yeah. with me. Hold some space with me. Yeah. And I think that of all the things that I've heard from all of our guests when we talk about grief, that seems to be a common thread of just hold space. Yeah. You know, but yeah. don't let me be alone. Yeah. I, I don't need you to come with a Band-Aid and put it on me. Yeah. Sometimes I just need you to let me say, this is nuts or this is this and... You know, I think talking about it is what helps, man. Because if we don't talk about this stuff, then people don't know, you know. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank our, our listeners for staying with us. And Angela, I want to thank you, brother. You know what I mean? For being here, mm -hmm. or appearing on, on Recovery Talks, the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, you've been listening to Angelo Marandino. And Angelo's story is about overcoming and dealing with grief. And you can find his story and his work at angelomarandino.com. And I want to say thank you for all your, the listeners that have been hanging with us for this edition of Recovery Talks, the podcast. Please stay tuned for more episodes with more guests as they share their journeys from the darkness to the light. And until then, until then, please stay standing and steady on.